This past week, our family spent an afternoon touring houses, trying to find one to buy. We looked at six houses one afternoon, six of them, and then one the next day. And as we were touring the houses, I got to noticing that each one of us had our own style for how to look at a house. Each one of us kind of had our own thing that we liked to do. Gracie, for example, Gracie's Gracie's got an eye for little details, and she was noticing little things about the houses that, that we didn't notice, and she'd bring up this and that, and it just brought a great perspective, and Trish, Trish is the one who's prepared. I mean, she's the one that's done the research. She knows about the neighborhood, she knows about the house, she knows how old the roof is, she knows all these, and she's ready to talk about all those things. And then there's Connor, and Connor, in every house we went to, Connor would walk in the front door and find the couch. And he'd plop down and stay there the whole time because Connor knows it's not a house we're looking for. We're looking for a home and it needs to feel like a home. And then there's me. And, and what I think I brought to the whole process was I like to open doors. If there's a door that's shut, I want it opened. I want to see what's on the other side. So I open pantry doors and I open closet doors and utility room doors. There was a house that had a little tiny door and I opened up that little tiny door to see what was on the other side. I open garage doors. I open interior doors, exterior doors. I always open doors because I want to see what's in there. I want to see what's in there. I want to see what's down there. And I want to see what's up there. I think we have to approach Revelation 4 with that kind of curiosity. As John peeks in through an open door, Revelation 4, I believe it's on page 1030 in those blue Bibles in front of you. Very first verse, John writes this, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. God has left the door open. And John can't help himself. He's got to peek in and see what's going on in there. I wonder as we begin chapter 4, as John looks in through that door, he sees that door open in heaven. Did he think back to what Jesus had just told him? Because if you go back to chapter 3 in verse 8, as Jesus is giving those letters to the seven churches that John is writing this revelation to, in Revelation 3 verse 8, Jesus says, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. Is this, is this that door? Is that the door that no one can shut? And, and if, it, if it is that door, is that door open for you also? Is that door open for me? Is that for us? I believe it is. I want to be curious about what's on the other side of that door. I want to see what's on the other side of that door. And I want you to know, no matter the hurt that you've experienced, no matter the pain, no matter the turmoil, no matter the grief, no matter the trouble that you feel right now, there is a door that is open for you. So let's peek in through the door with John as we're as we're taken through that door with John, that door that's standing open in heaven, we're amazed at what we see. But we're also, we, we notice what's, what's not here. And we're struck with the realization as we, peek, as we peek in through that door, we're struck with the realization that the chaos we've always known in this world, 
the chaos we've always lived with, that chaos is gone. Verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God and before the throne there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal John doesn't step in through the door you notice he doesn't even just peek around the corner all at once John's there all at once he is in that throne room and his senses are overwhelmed just as ours would be as we look around that room he sees the occupants of the throne room. His eye is immediately drawn to the one in the very center, the one who is seated on that throne. But there are brilliant colors. There are blinding whites. There are flashes of lightning. There's rumbles of thunder. There are torches burning. And before it all, there is water. Before it all, there is a sea. And the sea is not just calm. It's like glass. It is smooth and clear as crystal. That catches John's attention, and it should catch our attention too. The sea is smooth. There are no ripples. There are no waves. It is smooth as glass. It is unnatural, but it's also beautiful. And I want to remind you, as John receives this vision, this revelation, John is on Patmos, a little island. John is on Patmos. Patmos was a prison but it was a prison without bars. You didn't need bars on Patmos because you were imprisoned by the Aegean Sea that surrounded Patmos. That Aegean Sea was always churning and roiling. The waves were crashing. The water was black and the, and the water foamed and, and, and raged. And over there, on the other side of that raging sea, over there on the other side of the storm and the waves, on the other side of the chaos, were John's friends. On the other side were the people he loved. On, on the other side were the churches that he had cared for, the churches that he's writing to, the churches he had cared for and the churches that had cared for him. But here he was on this side. And between them was this raging chaos and there had to be times when John was lonely and he missed his friends. He missed his family. Every day, John could get up. He could walk to the shore and he could look out over the Aegean Sea. He could walk out over those waves, over, over that chaos, all that it kept him from. I wonder how often, looking at that sea, looking at it rage, I wonder how often John thought about Jesus. I wonder how often he remembered the story that we have in Mark chapter 4. That story of Jesus and the disciples on the boat. Jesus falls asleep and, and a storm blows up. And the disciples are trying to keep the water out of the boat. They're, they're working hard. They're trying to keep the whole thing afloat. Finally, one of them goes down and he, he jostles Jesus awake and he says, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that we drown? And Jesus 
awakens and he looks out. Verse 34 tells us he looks out, he raised his arms and he said to the sea, he spoke to the sea, peace be still. And the waves ceased and the water stopped. And as Mark tells us, there calmed a great calm. And there was peace there on Patmos. That sea was in chaos. There on Patmos, it was those waves that kept John from his loved ones. But John knows that Jesus calms storms. And here, in this vision, and here in this throne room, the chaos is gone. The sea is calm. It's like crystal. You and I look in with John. Something in us is drawn to the image of that kind of sea. A sea without chaos. Because you've known the waves of chaos far too long. The churning, the blackness of the storms in your life. The storms that you face. The storms that we've all faced. You've faced storms of cancer in your life. You've faced storms of pain. You've faced storms of grief. And you've lost people that you love to some of those storms. And then there have been storms in your own life. There have been storms of cancer. There have been storms in your health. There's been turmoil in your life. There's times when it's been difficult to hold on. But John's view through that door tells us that here, in front of the throne, in the presence of God, the chaos is gone. And there is nothing but peace in the presence of the One who is seated on that throne. We've never experienced a day without that storm. Even on your best days, the chaos is still there. And so our hearts are drawn with John to that crystal sea, that smooth surface. But you can't miss some of the other images that are here in this room. Things that we've never seen. We've never seen anything like this before. And yet, as we look in with John, even though we've never been here before, there is something strangely familiar about this place. John takes in the image of that throne and the light that's encircling the one that's seated in the middle. And as he's looking in and taking it all in, suddenly he feels a breeze next to his ear. Like a a bird flying a little bit too close. And he looks over and he sees, but it's, it's not a bird. It has six wings, not two. And those wings are covered with eyes. Nothing misses its attention. It sees everything. And though he's never been here before, he's never seen this, something about it, something about it feels so familiar to John. Go on in verse 6. And around the throne, on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man? And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four creatures, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, hold on, this is impossible. I've seen this before. I've heard it before. It's a a distant memory. Where where have we seen something like this? Was it a dream? More like a nightmare, right? To see something like that? No, wait. It's Ezekiel. I've read this in Ezekiel before. This is the vision that Ezekiel had. This is Ezekiel's cherubim that he saw in his vision. But that sound, that's 
that song that they're singing. John stops and he thinks, where have I heard that? That song is, is so familiar. I, it was a dark time. One of the kings had just died. And the nation was in turmoil. It was a very dark time. One of the kings had died. They were in mourning. Isaiah. Isaiah, when he went to the temple in the year that King Uzziah died, he went to the temple and he, and he heard this. He saw this. He went to the temple back home in Jerusalem. And John stops and thinks, it has been so long since I've been to Jerusalem. And they tell me the temple is gone. Just as Jesus said, not one stone is left upon the other, but it was there in the temple in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah wrote, I saw the Lord seating, seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And they called out to one another singing... Holy, holy, holy. That's the song. That's what they're singing. That's what they're singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. I wonder how many times had John, along with the other disciples, along with the churches, along with his friends and his family, how many times had John sung those words from Isaiah? in worship, just as you and I continue to sing those words from Isaiah in worship. I wonder how often when he was in worship with his friends and his family, his church, how often did they repeat those words from Isaiah and they imagine that vision for themselves, sure, with their, own, with their own tune, with their own song, but using those same words that we worship with, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. All thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. That sea smooth as glass, clear as crystal. It's the same song on that side of the sea that you and I have sung with our beloveds, that you and I have sung with the people who have gone on before us. They're singing the same song. You know, there are songs that we sing now. Songs that we've sung for years here that mean so much to us. And one of the reasons they mean so much to us is we remember that one who was sitting next to us when we sang that song. We remember the voices that used to be here that don't sing those songs on this side of the sea, but they sing them on the other side. There are many of you here who can't hear the song, Majesty, Without thinking of that deep baritone of Joe Harmon belting that song out and Pam sitting next to him. You can't think of the song, My Tribute. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? You can't think of that without Paul, can you? Those songs that have been such a part of our worship, those songs that continue, you cannot miss this detail in the song that John hears from the throne. It's a song that he knew on the other side. It's a song that he knew in the middle of the chaos where he had sung it with people that he had long loved. Worship does that to us. Worship does that to us. It draws us to the throne, but it draws us to the throne together. 
And as we stand there before the throne with John, as we hear the worship all around us, and as we begin to join in with those very, very familiar songs, we suddenly realize that the chaos has been replaced with peace and harmony before the throne of God. We can be overwhelmed reading the details about the throne room, but it's not just about the room. We can wonder at that sea of glass clear as crystal, but it's not about the sea. We can be amazed at the creatures that are there flying around. We can be amazed at the elders with their crowns and their white robes. We can be amazed at the sound and the music, but no, no, no. Our our attention is drawn to the one who is seated at the center. Our attention is drawn to the one where their worship is focused, the one seated on the throne. And as they worship, we can't help but fall down and worship with them. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things. And by Your will they exist and were created. We're not much for royalty on this side of the pond, you know. We're not much for royalty over here, and yet I think we get the idea of what a crown is and what a crown is for. It's a symbol of royalty and authority, and for some, the crown is their birthright. They ascend to the throne that is, that is meant for them. But for others, through history, a crown is fought for. A crown is won in battle. You see, a crown isn't just something that you receive. A crown is something you take from someone else. And here, these crowns are thrown down. They are laid at the feet of the one on the throne, the only one who is worthy of worship, the only one who is worthy of glory and honor and power. And He is worthy because above the chaos that is in your life today, above those storms that surround you, those storms of sickness, those storms of, uh, of depression, those term, that turmoil that you have in relationships, the, the waves that are raging in your life, the, ra- the waves that keep you tossing and turning, the waves and raging that, that keeps you from sleeping at night and keeps you from peace. There is one who reigns. There is one who is worthy. And if we glance in and if we just take a peek into the next chapter, we kind of look into chapter 5, we see Him. We see Him there with John. Revelation 5, verse 6, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing and looking as though it had been slain. John knows this lamb. He's known this lamb his whole life. And he has loved this lamb and been loved by this lamb standing, but looking as though it had been slain. And despite the turmoil and the heartbreak of today, the lamb is worthy. Worthy of your worship. Worthy of your devotion. And as you lay your crown before Him, He is worthy of your love. He offers you love so amazing, 
so divine, and it demands your soul, your life, your all. You came to worship today. You came to worship today well aware that there's chaos in this world. You came to worship today aware of the chaos that's around you. You came today with your pain. You brought your pain with you. You brought a longing in your heart. You brought a, a longing in your heart and a sense that is loud and pounding, as, as loud and pounding as that storm that is inside you. You came with this sense that there has to be something more and that there has to be peace somewhere, peace that could be found. And that peace is found at the Lamb in the center of the throne room. In the chapter earlier, Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus says, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. And then 12 verses later, Revelation 3.20, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Let me in. Because you felt the storm. You've been through the chaos. You, you, have survived, you have survived every storm you've ever faced. And yet, for some, maybe we shut the door of hope. Maybe we shut the door to hope because you thought all there is is a storm. All there is out there is a storm. There is no peace. There is no promise. There is nothing but trouble ahead. But look into the throne room and see what John sees. And know this, the door is standing open for you to come in and to find peace.